Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, the most listened to internet radio show in the nonprofit sector, dedicated to helping your charity succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to modern day fundraising success, and practical advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect landing point to learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also a successful author, his books range from successful online fundraising to the use of social media and how to make your nonprofit green. Guests on The Nonprofit Coach are leaders in their field who share tips and trade secrets for nonprofit management and fundraising success. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you and your organization move to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. This is a live call-in show. Add your voice by calling 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Click on radio. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of The Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart. And welcome back here to the latest edition of The Nonprofit Coach. Thank you for joining us again uh, here uh, to learn all about the latest techniques and how you can succeed uh, in the nonprofit sector. Uh, Today we've got a very important show for you, How to Grow Your Community Online. Uh, Randy Painter and Eric Rarden will be here with us from CARE2 as we get to uh, our page two experts today. So don't miss that part of the show so that your organization can learn all the latest techniques and how you can succeed in growing a larger community and therefore raising more money uh, for your nonprofit organization. Uh, We're going to, uh, first of all, though, get started, as we always do, uh, with Page One News. Over here on Page One News, it is my honor and privilege to welcome back here to the Nonprofit Coach. Uh, It is uh, that time of the month for us to welcome Ava Aldrich here with CFRE Minute. And Ava, I understand a great deal of international expansion over at CFRE, and uh, you spent uh, some very informative and important time at the German Fundraising Congress. So tell us all about it. Bring us up to date on the CFRE Minute. Thanks, Ted. Happy to do so. Um, yes, you know we're very excited here that that CFRE re- remains extremely strong in in North America, but also there is worldwide interest growing uh, in CFRE. And um, certainly the German Fundraising Congress, which we attended this past May, uh, it's very exciting to see uh, folks from outside North America starting to take a look at what CFRE is, how it can really help build. Uh, international philanthropy and trust in the sector. Um, And we had a wonderful gathering of a small uh, group of invited individuals to hear more about German-American philanthropy at the German Fundraising Association uh, conference or in conjunction with it. So um, I would just share that anyone who's interested in the topic of German-American perspectives on philanthropy, we will have a transcript of one of our speakers from that evening, um, Kimberly Marteau Emerson, 
who uh, whose husband is the U.S. ambassador to Germany, and she is a, a formidable activist and civic leader in her own right. Uh, and we will have that on our website uh, this coming week as part of our Leading Edge newsletter. Well, that that sounds extremely important. What what are just some of the takeaways that that you got from uh, uh, what I gather was a, a very warm welcome for uh, the concepts of uh, certification in the fundraising community in Germany? Um, is this a, a a new development, or has this uh, been coming for some time? You know, Ted, since we uh, got the global exam started in June of 2000, excuse me, 2013, we've been working on expanding um, awareness about CFRE uh, around the globe. And so I think that we're starting to see, you know, the outcome of our outreach being people are interested. Um, certainly fundraisers around the world are interested because it's one more way in which uh, fundraising can be truly recognized as a profession uh, is by having that international certification standard. So we occupy a very unique niche, and I think it's a message that's truly striking home to fundraisers because, um, Ted, as you know, from your travels to various fundraising conferences around the world and, and your work, um, you know, w what we see is that fundraising truly is a global profession, that there's much more that fundraisers have in common uh, around the world than there are differences. And one of the, the commonalities is the, uh, the interest in building trust. Uh, and uh, understanding both the art and the science of of fundraising. Where beyond uh, the German Fundraising Congress um, have you been lately that is really starting to expand this international footprint? Mm -hmm. um, I think one place, certainly, is the Brazil Fundraising Association. Uh, we were also were at their conference in May, uh, and we're part of, uh, I was part of a panel on uh, discussion of certification and what it means to individual fundraisers and to the profession. Um, you know, certainly the message about certification and its importance is being taken up in Brazil and uh, taken very seriously by the Brazilian Fundraising Association. Uh, we see that, too, at the Japan Fundraising Association, where I was earlier this year and, and spoke about certification and its benefits not only for individual fundraisers but also for uh, the philanthropic sector. Because as you mentioned, I mean, trust is vital. Without trust, donors will not give and they will not give generously. And that's what we need. And certification plays a key part in that. The summer coming up is uh, a good time for folks to really uh, take a look at the um, various aspects of CFRE and uh, perhaps uh, prepare to begin that process in earnest uh, this fall. How can uh, those that are listening today who have been on the fence thinking about it, uh, either they haven't renewed and they need to, or it's time for them uh, to, uh, to cross over and to become certified, um, how can they best do that? I think the key thing is to go to our website, www.cfre.org, because there, if you need to recertify, you can do so using our application portal, which we totally overhauled in November of 2014. And so it's a much easier, faster, and simpler process. 
uh, than it used to be. The same thing goes for initial certification. I think that individuals who are wanting to do that will be pleased that they can start their account at any time and start putting in their education and their uh, qualifications so that by the time they feel prepared to sit for the exam, all they'd have to do is press a button and apply. And just one more thing I'd add, too, and this is a development uh, that just happened at the beginning of this year that some people may not be aware of. We are now with a new testing partner. So if anyone out there has put off CFRE certification just because uh, it's been inconvenient to get to a testing center, they need to take an, a new look because we've got 10 times the number of testing centers available that we used uh, that we used to. So it's more than likely that there's now a testing center that's very close to you that's going to be convenient, uh, and so that way it will make the testing process easier. So one more convenient uh, way to avoid uh, moving forward on CFRE is bit the dust. Uh, so you no longer have that excuse. Uh, the testing centers are now near you, wherever you are, uh, and it's time to uh, to join uh, the large and growing ranks of certified fundraising executives. Uh, this has uh, been Ava Aldrich. Uh, Ava, thank you so much for joining us again, uh, and uh, we look forward to having you on uh, on our next show. Of course, this being uh, uh, June, we won't uh, be back uh, with uh, Ava Aldrich in the CFRE Minute until we come back. Uh, from our summer break uh, in September. So, Ava, you have a wonderful summer. You too, Ted. Thanks. It's always a pleasure, and I look forward to having uh, new developments to share in September. You always do, and it's always a pleasure to have you here. That's Ava Aldrich uh, from CFRE.org. Make sure you check it out and begin your process of becoming a certified fundraising executive. Uh, we're going to now head over to our terrific guests for page two. I have wanted to uh, have these gentlemen on the show for quite some time. The expertise that they have at CARE2, represented today by Randy uh, Painter and Eric Rairden, uh, is uh, very important to every nonprofit organization. Uh, Randy Painter is the CARE2 founder, president, and CEO. Uh, he's a pioneer in online citizen advocacy. Uh, Randy launched CARE2 in 1998 to elevate individual voices in support of social environmental causes. Today, CARE2 is the online destination for social activism with more than 27 million members taking collective action to make a difference, featuring petition services, daily actions to affect change, original content, and mindful living, and more. Alongside CARE2, Randy has helped shape the world of online advocacy with the petition site.com. CARE2, now listen to this, CARE2 has recruited more than 30 million donors to 1,500 nonprofit organizations. So clearly, these folks have some of the secret keys to the kingdom uh, where you may want to go to help grow your community online. Joining him today is Eric Raritan, who is the Vice President of Business Development at Care2, where he helps hundreds of campaigns, candidates, and nonprofits connect with donors and supporters online. At Care2, Eric advises on donor lead acquisition and multi-channel conversation strategies. He has contributed to integrated conversion efforts on behalf of nonprofits in the U.S., Canada, the United Kingdom, and over 100 countries. So for all of our listeners around the world, 
this is for you. And welcome here to the Nonprofit Coach. First, Randy Painter, welcome. Thanks, Dad. Great to be here. Great to have you here. And uh, joining you is Eric Rarden. Hello, Eric. Hi, Ted. Uh, it's great to have you both here. So I'm, I'm going to start off since uh, you are the founder, president, and the CEO, Grand Poopa of K, uh, CARE2. <laughs> I'm going to start off with uh, Randy Painter. Uh, what is CARE2? Uh, yeah, thanks, Ed. So uh, CARE2 is a social network of about 30 million people who are standing together for good. So primarily people come to CARE2 to start petitions and sign petitions and then support each other, other's campaigns. So there's a really wide variety of types of campaigns on CARE2. It's from animal welfare, environment, uh, workers' rights, um, women's rights, you name it. There's probably a petition uh, on CARE2 about it. CARE2 is also a benefit corporation, meaning that we use the uh, use business as a force for good. And the way that we generate revenues is um, – really by finding, uh, recruiting prospective donors for nonprofit organizations. We also work with a number of for-profits as well to uh, recruit uh, prospective customers for them. So uh, we're basically helping nonprofits to find members in a more affordable and effective way than their traditional methods of, you know, primarily direct, direct mail. So we've actually helped to recruit um, over 40 million prospective donors for nonprofits, um, maybe even 50 million at this point. Um, we're also we're uh, we're 17 years old. We're based in the uh, Bay Area. Um, unlike most uh, Silicon Valley-based firms, we have not taken venture capital um, yet. We're profitable. We're growing fast. We have offices in D.C. and uh, London as well, and that's where um, that's where Eric is today. So Eric, you're uh, you're over in London, are you? Yeah, I uh, yeah I arrived this this morning. We we work with a great list of uh, of charities here in the UK and and actually um, increasingly throughout the EU. Well, then you've got a a, a terrific uh, global perspective uh, to to bring to this. So we've just heard what Care Two is, but can you help us understand how does Care Two help a nonprofit build a community online? How does this actually work? Sure. Um, I'll, I'll take that, that question. So, um, so primarily, uh, we'll, we'll work with organizations to help to identify the types of um, prospective donors they're looking to recruit. So, an organization will come to us and say, uh, "Let's say we want to recruit um, 50,000 uh, prospective donors," and those are people that will uh, join their email list, um, and we and uh, they'll be able to contact them via email as well as um, direct mail and uh, telesales as well if they um, by, by phone if they want to take that approach as well. We will then craft a campaign with that organization to uh, that that appeals to the types of uh, prospective donors that that organization is looking for. Send that appeal out to our members. So we'll we'll target our member base of 30 million people. Uh, to figure out which ones are the the ones that are most likely to respond in a positive way, that are the types of prospective donors that these organizations are looking for, and so um, generally this is done through an online petition. Uh, it turns out that a, a petition, uh, somebody who signs a petition online on behalf of a nonprofit organization, is seven times more likely to make a donation to that organization versus someone who just signs up organically for that organization's email list. So, so give that um, statistic again. How how much more likely? Yeah, they're seven times more likely to make a donation than someone who's just signed up for um, the organization's email list. 
So it's, there's a the process of taking action on behalf of the organization. You know, there's, there's probably a filtering um, aspect to that, but there's certainly also kind of a um, kind of a ladder of engagement that we help them to step up the ladder of engagement uh, to get more involved, to feel a, a stronger bond with that organization because they've taken action for it. Now, the other the important um, other aspect of this is traditionally organizations have created essentially a profile where they're looking to find um, new donors by uh, based on certain characteristics. So. Um, maybe it's a woman, maybe she's age 50-plus, maybe she drives a Prius. They use these certain um, traits that they know exist among their existing donors to find new donors. Um, what we do is we take that actually a step further. We say we find people who are actually showing who intent to support that organization's mission because these people are, are signing um, a petition uh, showing, demonstrating that they are actually supporting the cause. So it's a, it's a, it's a really tight connection to the organization's uh, mission, and therefore they're more likely to make a donation, and therefore it's more efficient and effective than kind of the traditional methods that nonprofits have been using. Okay, so gentlemen, let me let me just sort of put this in perspective for folks. Uh, here on the Nonprofit Coach, we talk about all aspects of nonprofit management, and we certainly focus a lot on online success and social media. And one of the concepts that's often discussed here on the show is this need to know your donor, this need to um, have more information. They're not just a checkbook. They're not just a credit card. Uh, but the more that you know about them, the more you can engage them, and the more um, real the relationship can be between donor and charity. It sounds like what you're, you, you gentlemen are describing here is that CARE2 has been doing that. You've been doing that for 17 years. You know a lot about uh, the people who are active on your site. They're uh, participating in petition. They're telling you more about their likes and their dislikes and where they live and what they do. And so part of what you're able to sort of serve up and make available is a a well-seasoned group of uh, activists, if you will, or people uh, that can sometimes have a, a negative tone, but they're people uh, who are active in their communities, care about their community, care too, uh, and therefore when a charity comes to you and wants to engage in a campaign, they're engaging in sort of a warm pool already, um, how hot can that get is how close you you can then match what you know about donors, and you probably know a whole lot more about the folks on your site than the average nonprofit does about their own donors. Is that sort of a, a fair way to let people know why you bring value? I think that's that's fair. I think um, we are we also be, because of our scale um, and the fact that we work with 1,500 nonprofit organizations. Uh, we have uh, a, a perspective that you know, individual organizations are not going to be able to have, which gives us, um, you know, access to we say big data, um, the analytics that allow us to really find the best prospective donors. Um, so you know, organizations can go out and recruit on their own, um, but it's very, very difficult for them to get a sophisticated a back-end solution. Well, frankly, the entire kind of uh, vertical chain um, solution to find those best donors. So what we often hear from organizations is that um, the folks that we recruit for them perform far better than the folks that they're able to recruit um, themselves. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it's a combination of factors, uh, but, you know, particularly as direct mail, I think direct mail uh, acquisition has dropped something like 25% in the last 
10 years. Um, nonprofits are finding that they're having to move a lot of their money for acquisition online. We're also able to find a, a slightly younger audience. So um, kind of our average uh, demographic is about 40 years old. Um, uh, it's maybe slightly older than that. So these are folks that actually um, have money to donate. Um, but they're also kind of the future of that organization, of these organizations' uh, donor pool. So they're going to be with these organizations for many years because they have their their email address. They're establishing rapport with these um, individuals, and um, you know, and, and they're and they're young enough that they're going to be around for for a number of years still to donate. So in in looking at the the care to uh, model, you, you there's a lot of care and feeding. Uh, that has to go into a successful relationship, both online and offline. Is part of the the work that you've done and part of what you bring to the table is that you've been about that business for quite some time, and you really know how to succeed in that in that realm. For sure, yeah, and that, that's certainly been part of the key. We've learned a, a lot over the years. Uh, you know, we, we've tried a lot of things. A lot of things haven't worked, uh, and we figured out you know what does work uh, through through those years. Um, you know, so so we try to use the best practices that um, we've learned over the years, and we try to help our uh, nonprofit clients also learn how to use those as well. So, you know, such as welcome series, such as you know, immediately uh, kind of responding when somebody uh, signs up for their list. There's a whole series of uh, tactics that can be used to kind of bring somebody uh, up the, the the ladder of engagement and hopefully uh, get them to make a donation. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's a fair statement. That's the that that's the second time that you've mentioned this ladder of engagement. Share with us that concept and where does Care to fit, um, and what are most nonprofits getting wrong in terms of you utilizing that approach? Right. Well, so actually, one of the reasons that I started Care to uh, was that this was and this was 17 years ago uh, was the understanding at the time that a lot of folks were feeling a great sense of apathy. It was kind of, it was cool not to care. And, uh, and so there, there was a great sense of um, disenfranchisement between uh, individuals and um, the causes that are so important. And so um, w- there were two kind of general problems that I was trying to overcome. Um, one was that people felt like a lot of the problems of the world weren't related to them. They didn't impact them directly. I think the internet has helped to, um, kind of help everybody to feel a whole lot more connected than ever before, but that certainly wasn't the case um, 17 years ago. Um, and the other problem was that people felt like these, these issues were so big, they, they were too big for individuals to actually make a difference um, on themselves. They, they, got, they, they did governments or they did nonprofit organizations. And so um, I took a, a different approach um, than I think most nonprofits were, were using at the time, um, which was, um, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to pay anything. You don't have to um, devote your blood, sweat, and tears. You just need to do something really, really simple to take action, um, and that is going to make a difference. Because together, when we all, you know, all of us take these individual small actions, they really do add up into something pretty magnificent. And so that was um, my goal was to, to lower the barrier tension because. Um, I, I knew that if you could hook them, help them to feel good about actually doing something positive, um, they were going to want to come back and do more. And that's and, and that's kind of the first step in terms of this ladder of engagement. So you get them involved in something really, really simple, um, really feel good and, um, and very light touch. 
and then you get them to come back and do more, and you give them opportunities to do more and more and more. And um, eventually you've got someone who doesn't just, you know, click once, but they actually consider themselves an environmentalist or, or a human rights advocate. And, uh, you know, people want to work in and, and kind of live in concert with who they see themselves as. And so somebody who sees themselves as an environmentalist is likely to then uh, vote more like an environmentalist. Um, we would, an environmentalist would, um, you know, spend uh, more like an environmentalist would. Um, and donate to organizations that uh, are supporting uh, protecting the environment. And so um, that was kind of the, the foundation for this kind of this concept of the ladder of engagement, getting them up um, and getting them more involved. Um, what some organizations could do better in that regard is uh, is one um, making it really simple. Sometimes, um, you know, the first ask would be, uh, you know, we, we want to have um, we want we want you to become a monthly donor right off the bat. Well, that's a pretty high ask for somebody who may not even know much about the organization in the first place. It may be easier for some of the big brands, but for some smaller organizations, that's tough. So if you can actually get them to take simple actions that um, reflect the values of your brand, of your uh, brand proposition, let that person help help your organization. Such so, I mean, that's why signing petitions are such a great uh, vehicle to acquire new donors is because um, you're basically helping somebody is, is feeling like they're being part of your organization. Feel, they feel like they're being brought in to uh, support your organization in a way that's a really easy thing for them to do at first, um, but it's still meaningful. And then eventually, you know, you work your way up to get them to become a donor. So we see Care2 as really kind of the opening of this big funnel. We use a whole lot of sophisticated filtering to find really quality donors and then hand those individuals off to the nonprofit organizations to let them take them to the next level to get them, you know, do more volunteer activities to, to make donations, et cetera. It sounds like a, a, a respectful relationship model that that uh, I, I think, yeah, and we've talked a lot on the show uh, about how just sort of the hit and run fundraising of online, you know, give give it, give me now and then give again, um, negates the whole opportunity to engage and build a relationship to educate and draw uh, donors closer to your organization. Um, is is that because the folks who are on care to who may choose to support various activities are already within sort of an ecosystem of support? Well, that, that's true. So there's a couple of um, responses to that. So, so that is true. We have, we have a like-minded audience on Care2. So we're not just kind of a generic um, petition platform. Um, and and we, what we really are is a, is a shared values community. So um, everyone on our site is looking to create kind of a kinder, more inclusive, more sustainable world. And so they all share these values. So um, that's that they feel like they're part of, um, of something that is uh, greater than themselves. Um, and I forgot my next uh, point. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, they, um, but they, they do uh, – it, it is well, – um, I want you to sort of reflect on, on this ecosystem of support uh, in terms of, you know, how nonprofits who may be going it alone and not having – what you folks are able to bring to the table, um, how can they replicate that once the donor is is a supporter of theirs? Right. Sorry. Yeah. That. That. Um, thank you. Uh, so the the point is, um, in terms of that relationship, you, you're absolutely right. You, you can't just keep on asking them for, for money every time. Um, I, I consider it kind of you know, kind of in terms of like building that emotional bank account, um, to borrow a term from. Um, 
I don't know, uh, uh, relationship psychology or something. Uh, so that basically uh, you need to give and give and give and then ask and give and give and give and give and then ask. And so you don't want to just be asking, asking, asking. And it, and it turns out that actually um, having somebody sign a petition is essentially, um, it's more like a gift than it is an ask because people actually like doing that. They feel that they're actually doing something good. Um, and so they feel that they are contributing in a way that's not going to actually, um, you know, cost them anything. So uh, you, you want to uh, – so the organizations should absolutely give them, whether it's content, um, whether it's, you know, ask, asking them to, to take an action that doesn't cost anything. All these little um, – you know, participate in a forum, participate in a town hall session, whatever it is that they, um, they can offer – um, to give something back to those uh, individuals that are part of the organization, help them to feel, help those individuals to feel that they are, are part of the organization, um, and then they can ask them for the, for the money. Um, I think that's the, the strategy that has worked so well for us um, and that I think will work for nonprofits as well. Sir, so, yeah, so again, back to dominate. Sorry, I didn't mean to dominate. Yeah, no, I, well, I was just Here, going to say, going, yeah. going back to this issue of, of sort of the the ladder of of engagement. Um, again, this is not just an issue of uh, fundraising. This is really uh, an issue of relationship building, drawing people closer to your organization through systemic engagement. Are these the 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 methods and the education that comes with working with Care2? Because it sounds like you've really perfected or at least have been exhibiting those activities uh, much more than the average nonprofit does. Um, yeah, I, I, I might jump in on that one. Um, so so we, we do very much, we, we, we put a lot of time and effort into working with the nonprofits that we work with to help them craft a really comprehensive, integrated, multi-channel approach to building and sustaining this relationship. So, you know, we, we often will talk to, to a fundraiser and they'll, they'll say, oh, yeah, we want to get some, some data from you or some leads from you. And we try and respond with, we can help you recruit supporters because we want to frame this as these are people. And the more you can sort of picture, you know, as you're sending an appeal to them or asking them to take action or volunteer, the more you actually picture a human being in your mind's eye versus a spreadsheet, the more successful you're going to be fundamentally. Um, one of the things, so, so in terms of cultivating and building a longer, stronger long-term relationship, it's a lot of what Randy was saying, really encouraging our partners to engage with these individuals, giving back, not just asking, 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 but providing them with opportunities to take action, providing, providing them with information, providing them with uh, opportunities to, to engage with them on Facebook and across, uh, you know, across the internet, but but also we really do think of this as a multi-channel relationship, and we, you know, the, the organizations that are most successful, and and in terms of sustaining these relationships over years and years, are those organizations that are are being very thoughtful about reaching out to the people they've recruited from Care Two and engaging them not only online, but also in the mail and on the phones, but doing that in a way that's, that's very integrated. And the more they're able to do that, uh, certainly from a fundraising perspective, they'll, they'll dramatically increase their lifetime value. 
Um, what's interesting about care too is we sort of grew up with online fundraising. It, online fundraising is about as old as we are, and so the the market has evolved, and and we've been continually learning from fundraisers and um, and campaigners about what they need from the internet, what they need from a, online supporters, but also what what they do to fundraise and and how we can help support their fundraising efforts and help them help them be successful. And, and it's different in, in different markets. In the UK, it's much more of a focus on, um, you know, on telemarketing to convert to monthly donors. And in Canada, face-to-face is still very, very heavy. Um, but we're really focusing on trying to, to, to learn what the organizations are currently doing, figure out how we can support that, but also share with them things that we know will help them be more successful in their efforts going forward. That's terrific. When we come back from this break, I want to ask you two gentlemen, what is the profile of the ideal nonprofit organization that will benefit from the CARE2 approach to growing your online community? And we'll be right back after this break. When you have a great idea and need to work with others to bring it to life, how do you do it? Sometimes it's tough because the people you work with are in different places, with different schedules, using different devices. Google Apps lets you bring ideas to life with others. Here's how. Start with email that offers more. Gmail does more than send and receive emails. It connects people and lets you chat instantly while viewing a snapshot of your team's relevant activities and access to everything they shared with you. With Google Docs, there's only one version for everyone to work on. Share easily with the right people without email attachments or compatibility hassles. And work together on the same docs at the same time in a way that simply makes sense. Edit and interact easily with integrated social commenting. Google Calendar makes it easy to share schedules and find times to meet, and schedule or update meetings with a few clicks. Everyone can't be in the same place at the same time. But Google Apps lets you work together from any place. With multi-way video chat, you'll feel like you're all in the same room. While screen sharing and integration with Google Docs lets you work with more people from anywhere, on any device, even on your mobile phone or tablet. Work with any team at any time from any place on any device. Google Apps. Work in the future, today. To learn more, go to google.com slash apps.
And just a program note uh, for everyone, grab your calendars next week here on the Nonprofit Coach at 12 noon Eastern. Uh, we will have John Murcott. Um, he will be coming to us from Crowdster.com, uh, and they are the social networking and engagement experts. They're going to be uh, helping you with everything from event registration to gamification and incentivization incentivization uh, and uh, providing you the analytics and the online tools that you need to succeed. And then uh, this is the big show. This is the one that we wait for every year. Uh, the uh, good folks at the Giving Institute uh, use our show each year to announce the new Giving USA report results. Uh, Peter Fissinger will be here uh, from the Giving Institute uh, here at 4 p.m. Eastern on June 16th. That is release date for uh, the new official Giving USA report. All the latest figures will be announced here on the Nonprofit Coast. So please mark your calendars. Again, that's June 16th at 4 p.m. Eastern. Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. And we're live here on the Nonprofit Coach uh, with Randy Painter and Eric Rarden uh, from Care2. Uh, gentlemen, before we went on the break, I, I posed the question, and I'd like to uh, ask you to give us uh, a peek at what is the ideal profile of a nonprofit organization that can succeed with the tools available from Care2 uh, to build a successful online community. That's, that's a great Question. And actually, so there's, there's two levels of this. Anybody, organization or individual, can create a petition on CARE2 for free and engage with people. And so really anybody can use CARE2, which is how you know, we've, we've built this amazing community. Um, in terms of leveraging our paid services, at a minimum, you know, they, it, it's not country-specific. We work all over the world. Um, at a minimum, the organization has to to be able to send emails to people and engage at a minimum online. That's at least that channel they have to have sufficiently in place. So they have to have a good email system. And if they're looking to fundraising, obviously they would need to have um, a, a, a solid uh, online fundraising uh, tool as well. Um, beyond that, you know, they don't have to be the you know the biggest richest organizations in the world. We we work with organizations that, that are actually quite small and might have a staff of four in some cases, sometimes even less, thinking, thinking about a couple examples. Um, so it's, it's, it's more about, at a minimum, having that online capability to engage and continue the conversation once we start it. Um, the more channels an organization is able to put in place, the more successful, successful they'll be from a fundraising perspective. So if they also do direct mail and they also do telemarketing, that, that just gives them more opportunities to ask the donor to give in the channel that the donor prefers to give. So that, that definitely helps them. Um, we, we don't work with right-wing organizations. We, uh, we have, our community is built up of, of people that are essentially on the center to the left of the political spectrum. We work with lots of non-political organizations like National Geographic and some of the Smithsonian museums and so forth. So they don't have to be, you know, you know, very, you know, 
super ideological, but we've just we've made the decision that um, it's not a good fit for us and it's not a good fit for our community to um, to work with organizations that are uh, sort of uh, anti-gun control and and so forth. And and really, part of it is because fundamentally we don't think they are helping make the world a better place. And we're trying to empower empower organizations that are trying to make the world a better place. So so that is one factor. Um, and but beyond that, the, you know, the, the the key to success for an organization is treating these people like individuals, having having really thought through ways to engage them beyond um, solely a monetary ask. And uh, and and really having a plan in place before you start. So where where does sort of the value proposition of what the the charity is doing factor into this? You were saying uh, politically there is a a particular place on the spectrum uh, that your members are more likely to respond, and therefore, you know, why send out something that's not going to be successful. Uh, or I gather uh, an organization that is truly apolitical and and, and doesn't have uh, any particular leanings might benefit uh, from your service. But where where does that fit um, in terms of the value proposition of what the organization is is about? Are these more uh, more likely to be successful if they're advocacy organizations, um, or is this just as successful for a membership based organization? What we found is that the organizations they don't do they don't have to be advocacy organizations uh, per se. They're, we work with a lot of organizations that don't do sort of traditional advocacy. So, as a result, in addition to running petitions, we also run pledges, and we ask people to pledge to do you know pledge to make make the world a better place in a variety of ways. Um, and those pledges. Can be can be powerful. But the, what these actions are doing is filtering out people who have an affinity for a particular issue, and they're raising their hand and saying, "Yes, I'm going to take this pledge or sign this petition." And that, but in a, they're ultimately they're raising their hand, and then from there also saying, "Not only do I care about this issue, but I want to hear from this organization." It's actually asking for or saying, "Yes, I'm I'm happy to receive." more email from another organization, that that's, shouldn't be ignored. Most people don't want more email. And so if they, they, if they agree to receive email from another organization, that alone is, is, is a meaningful sort of expression of interest. The, the, the organizations that are going to be most successful, whether it's a pledge or a petition, it's the, the more concrete the action is, the more directly the action relates to the, the work of the organization and the, the more the, the more directly the action is connected to, to actually making an impact is, is sort of the key to success uh, from a recruitment standpoint. And I'll say we I mean we've also just kind of as an example we've had um, you know, for-profit companies that are uh, kind of in the you know natural foods or natural uh, food products uh, arena that have done extremely well with uh, campaigns um, on care too, and they're they're not into advocacy you know at all. But uh, we've had members pledge to eat organic or um, you know more healthy, and uh, those have ended up uh, recruiting some very valuable uh, customers for some of these organizations. You mentioned that uh, you've been around for quite some time, uh, and uh, what that means is that 
you have uh, written out a, a couple of recessions, an internet bubble burst. Uh, you've remained profitable nearly the entire time. I believe you were the third social network ever launched, and uh, I I wonder what you attribute that success and that longevity to be in an, in an era where uh, online is, is often a flash in the pan. Right, yeah. Well, I mean, I think the, uh, it, it is, it is um, pretty unusual, <laughs> we'll just leave it at that, that we, we've been around for 17 years through, uh, kind of through high and low, and uh, we haven't raised any real money since uh, 2000, actually, um, which is particularly unusual in this uh, sphere. So we did raise money initially from some high net worth individuals back in between 98 and 2000. But uh, by 2001, um, we had burned through that all. We, we were still trying to figure out what the model was. Uh, you know, my, my initial vision was actually it didn't involve uh, this lead, act, lead generation model at all, actually. Um, it was really around green e-commerce and advertising is what I originally thought was the way we were going to uh, be able to monetize it. I, I, my goal was always to create this kind of what I call an engine for good, where we could uh, help people to do good, and by getting them to do good, we would find a way to generate revenue that we could then pump back into helping them to do more good. So it's kind of this really virtuous cycle. And so um, we, it took us a while to figure out that model. So we wanted a model where our mission and our margin were totally aligned. So the more money we make, the more good we do, the more good we do, the more money we make. And um, it was just kind of uh, fortuitous that we stumbled on this uh, lead generation model because literally nobody was doing it at the time uh, for in the nonprofit sphere. And uh, we were kind of had our backs up against the wall in 2001 and, uh, you know, times were extremely tough. No one was able to raise money after 9-11. And so uh, we ended up sending out an appeal, actually, on behalf of the Environmental Defense Fund. Um, found that we got a lot of uh, donors uh, for them, and that was kind of the, the, the beginning of this whole model of, uh, of donor acquisition uh, for nonprofits. So I, I think, you know, I think the formula is pretty simple. I think the formula is basically uh, take action, listen to the feedback, and then adjust course. Right? Just those three steps. And you do it time and time and time again. That's always kind of the success formula. Um, the challenge, I think, for most organizations is that, well, primarily when they don't, they don't listen very well. They don't, they don't necessarily uh, face reality. And I think we're, we're really good about facing reality and realizing when something's not working, we change course and we, we try something different. And so... Um, I think that, that facing reality is probably one of the keys. And I think the other thing was just um, the realization that um, we weren't going to be able to go out and raise more money uh, <laughs> early on anyway. Um, and so, therefore, we needed to find a way to uh, pay for this through internally generated cash flow. We needed to figure out the, the revenue model. And so, um, you know, my background, I have an MBA, and um, so that was kind of always been my background is to use the power of the markets for good and find a way to generate revenues through, through doing good. Um, and so uh, that, I think, was the other kind of key. So um, make sure you can make money um, and, uh, and listen to the feedback that you're getting and just keep on adjusting course. Um, and, you know, we, we wrote out some very tough times, and there were times where we had to do layoffs, but uh, the last couple of years has been just uh, fabulous. I mean, this, this year is just absolutely amazing um, as the market is really finally maturing, um, you know, business is kind of uh, is coming in at, at, at unprecedented levels, and uh, we're growing like like a weed right now. So um, I think we've uh, we've figured out a number of things along the way, and it's um, it, these are good times. 
Well, you're not the only petition site out there. What what uh, what what do you attribute um, your longevity and and the model that you just described? Um, there's a lot of petition sites out there who are not doing as well as as you are. What's sort of that secret sauce? Right. Well, the funny thing is, um, yeah, when I when we first started the petition site, I mean, the reason I started was that um, uh, there were these. Uh, email uh, chain letter petitions that used to go around and flood everybody's inbox. And, uh, you know, a lot of well-meaning folks uh, were signing their names to the bottom of an email, sending it to all their friends, saying, you know, support this particular cause. And, of course, none of that did any good. And my, my mother would send me these all the time, and I just, it, it just realized there was so much passion out there. There's got to be a way to help folks um, to really have a positive impact. And so that was um, the, the kind of the reason that um, we started the petition site. And so, um, and originally it wasn't actually, there, there was no revenue model associated with it. Um, and it was just really to help people to do good. And we figured that eventually we'd, we'd find a way to generate revenues and support it. Um, and so it, it just really took off. And we had a number of victories kind of early on. And we realized we were really on to something. And, um, and I think we were the first ones to, to figure out this lead gen model. And for years, nobody else knew that model. It was kind of our, our secret sauce, and, um, and, and uh, we didn't talk about it and other than to our clients, and, um, and nobody else really kind of picked up on it. And then um, probably maybe five or seven years ago or so, um, some others started realizing this is how we're, why we're being so successful when um, all these other sites are struggling. They were trying to do, you know, display ads or something, which really kind of um, didn't work well for in an advocacy petition kind of based solution, or, or they're asking for donations or something like that. Um, and so I think that was um, it was the fact that we figured out the revenue model um, that was completely aligned with um, with the mission of the site. Um, it, it made sense and it was all working together. Uh, I think that was part of the key there too. And I think the fact that we have this shared values community. I mean, whenever somebody starts, uh, you know, citizens are starting petitions all the time. I care too. And when they start a petition that um, is something that is uh, within this uh, kind of value set of our membership base, they take off because our members are looking for these new petitions. They will immediately start signing them, sharing them on Facebook or Twitter, and making and, and helping them to be successful. What we've also done recently um, is actually add staff to work directly with citizen authors to um, help to make sure that their petitions are successful. So we will do, um, we'll actually help to craft the petition, uh, the text of it, the imagery, um, we will work with them on media training. We will actually go out and help to get them interviews, um, their local TV or, um, or radio stations or the, the press. And so we're, uh, we're really partnering. We're, we're, I call it kind of a, um, a campaign team in a box. So, you know, historically we've seen some big viral campaigns that have just taken off, and, and, and therefore it, it kind of seems like the, the good petitions will always take off. But that's not really true. There are actually a lot of individuals out there who um, have who are onto something you know significant and, and have, have, want to make a real impact and have a really important issue, but they're not able to uh, be successful because they don't necessarily have the um, the skill set or the knowledge to to understand how to make their petition successful. So we wanted to kind of um, close that loop and and to provide them that service. And so. 
Um, that has really taken off in the last um, year or so. We've invested heavily in that. And so you know, more people know about CARE2 than ever before. They're searching for CARE2. They're starting petitions on CARE2. And so um, I think that's been, that's kind of why our, our traffic is, is kind of going through the roof and um, as people are starting more petitions on CARE2. And then we use that um, we kind of uh, we, we tap into that passion of all these people that are signing these you know, individual citizen petitions, and after they sign that first citizen petition, we show them a nonprofit petition um, that you know may resonate with them um, and try to get them to you know start up that that ladder of engagement. Eric, I'm wondering if you can sort of share with us your elevator pitch. Um, as the business development guy, you know, someone who is now intrigued, is thinking about um, how might this model really benefit my organization? Would it really work to build a community online? Um, how how do you sort of triage that uh, the perfect client and, and get them to uh, to then sign up? Um, so basically, I describe Care2 as, a, as an online source of multi-channel donor leads. We can, provide, we, we can provide organizations with thousands or hundreds of thousands of supporters in a very short period of time with very little work on their end, and we can help them work to effectively build a long-term relationship with these individuals that includes converting uh, many of them into donors at a rate that will allow them to make their money back more quickly than any other single channel source of acquisition. Is part of your work advisory on how to sustain those relationships? Yes, absolutely. We we really we know, as any good business should know, that we, you know if if our customers aren't successful, we don't make it. And uh, so so on a purely sort of We've got to do this level, but also we we feel like we have a commitment to our members as well. So we want them to have a good experience when they're engaging with the organizations we work with. Um, but you know, we we absolutely work with organizations. We look at their we we go through their welcome series. We go through their editorial calendar. Uh, we'll look at their landing pages. We will look at their direct mail appeals and how they plan to fold care to members into their direct mail appeals. We'll look at their uh, telemarketing scripts and see, you know, to make sure that they're tailored to care to as a source of prospective givers. And and we will talk to talk to them and work with them about their sort of long term plan. And and we really we know that they will get so much better benefit, so much more benefit if they do have a solid plan, and especially a plan that, le that leverages multiple channels, including engaging our members on Facebook and, you know, and you know, across social media, but also online and in the mail and, and via email. It's just it's critical that they do that. And the more that we're able to provide uh, tips and guidance on, on how, ways to boost that and any sort of feedback on either their, their email schedule or their welcome series or what have you, we're, we're happy to do. And we're actually continually producing content. Uh, we're, we're actually releasing a white paper um, this Thursday on acquiring and, and converting uh, online supporters. And it covers the spectrum, not just of recruiting from Care2, but also what organizations can do to, to grow their lists organically and we really encourage them to start with getting their organic growth in place 
and then and then start to look at, at other forms of acquisition, including working with Care2. And so we're constantly trying to build up this body of knowledge that we can share with our partners to help them be more successful. Where's the you, you had mentioned it's possible to recruit uh, many donors, tens of thousands of donors. Um, but where is the sweet spot in terms of the number of engagements, the amount of time before the organization really can see a revenue source coming from this? So, well, that's a great question because um, when we're working with organizations that are coming from more from a direct mail background and haven't done as much online, they're sort of used to being able to look three weeks after they've deployed a, an acquisition mailing and have a pretty good sense of how things are going to turn out. Whereas because this is a long-term relationship, we'll have some of our members might give for the first time 18 months after initiating a relationship with a nonprofit. Of course, that's too slow to work for the nonprofits. We, we see that an, an organization working with us that's got all the tools in place and, and has a good plan will typically make their money back in, in 18 to 24 months. And, you know, that, that is beating a direct mail acquisition these days. And that's not to disparage direct mail. We, we urge our partners to include our members in direct mail as a means of converting them. Um, but you, when you start out with this relationship, that you can basically have a conversation and, 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 and reach out to people on a weekly, if not daily basis, you just, you, you're much further down the road. So then when you send them a piece of direct mail, they, they, it, they're much warmer than um, what you typically have. So we, we think 18 to 24 months is, is a good, solid rate of return or you know, time to pay back. We do have partners that make their money back much more quickly. And, of course, not everybody is going to make their money back. They really have to – they've got to use all the levers. They have to have good systems in place, and, um, and they have to be a good fit. So you folks are sort of the the antidote to hit and run fundraising. Uh, you really have built a community. You have brought people together. You provide them opportunities to do good um, across your platform, and and therefore nonprofit organizations can benefit from the community that you've already uh, created and warmed up for them. It's a matter of now engaging them uh, for their specific cause. I think that's a great way of phrasing it, and, uh, and I'll, I'll circle back to, uh, to see if I can't quote you on that in an upcoming piece because we are, we, we are fighting a, a, a constant battle against hit-and-run fundraising. And, and, it's, and it's so often when, people, when our partners aren't successful, it's because they've taken a hit-and-run approach, and we then work with them and try and sort of get things back into a long-term relationship mode and say, you know, you just got to keep building this relationship with folks. But that's absolutely our biggest challenge. Well, you have a friend here, the nonprofit coach. We have been uh, lecturing and training and sharing with our listeners for years uh, that is not about hit-and-run fundraising. It is about those respectful relationships. Uh, That's what donors are looking for, and that's what they will care about. Uh, So, gentlemen, we are almost out of time. I love this conversation. You are definitely uh, the folks who have the information on online communities. Uh, So um, I'm going to ask each of you individually uh, just to make sure that we end the show, letting my listeners know how they can reach you. And we'll start with Eric Raritan. Um, the easiest thing is to, to email me at ericr at care2team.com. There you go. And Randy Painter, 
How can uh, my listeners reach you? And I'm at Randy at care2team.com, so that would be a great way. Happy to talk with anybody. Terrific. All right. Well, gentlemen, the antidotes to uh, hit-and-run fundraising right here on The Nonprofit Coach. Thank you for joining us today. We will be back live next week at 12 noon Eastern uh, with John Murcott from Crowdster. Thank you for joining us. Have a great day. Thanks, Ted. You've been Thanks, listening Ted. to the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad friendly podcasts at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Coach.